You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, it's Rick Bassman here, back with Talking Tough. And let's call this episode 3.1. This is the third incarnation of Talking Tough. I did it myself for about a year with some of the most amazing guests I could possibly imagine. People like uh, Emmanuel Jahl, who is a uh, well-known author and recording artist as a child soldier from the Sudan. Uh, Good friends of mine, like Rusty, whose last name I won't say, uh, if you saw the podcast, you'll remember who's the uh, one of the world leaders in the world's leading outlaw motorcycle gang and uh, or club. I'm sorry. It goes on and on. I have an amazing guest, the, the tops of the top in WWE and UFC. Then in the second incarnation, my good friends, mixed martial arts legend, Boss Rutten and boxing legend Butterbean joined me as co-hosts. We got to a lot of listeners and viewers. Thank you all for that. But we let it go at the height of the pandemic for a whole bunch of different reasons. It doesn't matter why. Here I am now moved to Big Bad Los Angeles from Maui, Hawaii. I know. Why would anybody make that move? Right. But that's a story for another day. Super excited to get restarted with Talking Tough. It's a whole new era. We're going to have the best and most interesting guests in the world. If you remember the topic or the theme for Talking Tough, it is the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. So what does that mean? These people are very famous in these like action and adventure niches. And we'll get into the uh, the war stories, if you will, of their world. Uh, the, the fun, the highs, the lows, the sex, the drugs, and rock and roll, if that's even a theme that we use or a saying we use these days anymore. And we'll tell the stories and talk about the things their fans want to hear about. And then we'll get into the human side of each guest. Have they, you know, how do they get to the top? Did they fall to the bottom? If so, how did that happen? What was their part in it? Are they still climbing their way out? If they are out, what do they learn in the process? And I think in doing, in, in following that trajectory, our goal is to, to entertain and inspire the latter, because you'll find that your superheroes, just like yourselves, they have their challenges, they have their vulnerabilities. And like you, they have to find the best way out back to the top. So without further explanation, I am very, very happy to get ready for our first guest on the relaunch of Talking Tough. So recently, Netflix had a big hit series on the American Gladiators. And the Gladiators are, you know, they were legends from a couple of decades back. And we'll talk about that, who have like really lived in the public consciousness ever since. Uh, it's a legend in, in a place and time that will never be replicated. And then Netflix, Netflix brings it back. And in the process of doing that, it reignites the gladiator fever. Well, in that series, which is amazing, you have to watch it on Netflix. And we'll talk more about it when our guest comes on. There were a few people that were featured more than anybody else. And then there's one in particular who really stood out. This person, I didn't clock it or time it, but I'm pretty sure this person got far and away the most screen time. And there's a reason for that. Uh, there's an undeniable charisma. 
but then there's also a story and the two together just combines for this dynamic individual who I'm very happy to introduce now, uh, a longtime friend of mine, Lori Fetrick, also known as Ice from the American Gladiators. <laughs> hey, hey, Rick, how are you doing? Good, Lori. I know it was a long intro. I haven't done the show for a long time. So. Hey, it's all good. That's awesome. <laughs> get back to it. And, 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 and I winged it completely. So I hope I did. Uh, hope I did you some justice. And that's that absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. I good. loved it. Good. Well, it's great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, hanging out here uh, on a beautiful Sunday afternoon in the valley with my four amazingly lovely pit bulls. Life is good. How about That's yourself? Awesome. Very good. I'm I'm the same, hanging out in the valley right there next to you. <laughs> That's beautiful, amazing. Beautiful day both, in SoCal. How do we both end up back in this hole in the ground? Otherwise, God, going to the valley, huh? It is a hole in the ground, isn't it? <laughs> do people give you a hard time for being in California? I am getting so much shit over that. It's amazing. Yeah, a lot of people are wondering why I still live here and why I haven't moved out. Um, there's a lot of reasons um, for me. Um, my family, my mom is still here. She's like, you know, she's 82 and it's just me and my sister. So I can't necessarily leave right now, you know? So um, my sister would hold that against me. No, no, no. And those are good reasons. And uh, I hear your dog barking in the background, which is- Yeah, I apologize for that. No, you know, it's so great because at least once every episode, my dogs will like explode because something is going on. They're chasing yeah. a squirrel or- you know, over in Hawaii, they were chasing a, a, a pig, whatever it might be. <laughs> it's always something. Now, I, now, that's something unusual to say. Not everybody can say that every day. Oh, my dogs are outside chasing pigs. No, hold on. No, let me do yeah. this. Hold on. Hold on. Take them outside and shut the front door, please. There we go. Um, I, I don't mind. I don't think our listeners mind. <laughs> there we go. She's taking them out in front right now. Okay. There we go. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Every now and then in one of these shows, my dogs would start barking and then my guests would have a dog who would start barking or vice versa. Yeah. And then the whole episode, but it's all good. I know. We, we and then the doggies, I, don't we? And we have the, the little chihuahua that is. Um... Okay. There she goes. That did not sound like a chihuahua. That sounded like a big dog. Uh, I've got four. Ah. And uh, one is a, um, a Husky mix, right. Husky German Shepherd lab. And then I have another one I rescued and he's like a, a little Bichon poodle type thing. And then I do have the actual Chihuahua. And then I have like a, a, a small beagle mix that my stepmother gave me before she actually passed away. So they're, they're an array, what array true. of animals. And let me guess the meanest one is the Bichon. no. No, he's not. He his name is River, and he's like the sweetest little guy. And I think it is because I rescued him. Oh, you know, and he knows. Okay. He knows that he's in a way better environment. <laughs> you know, it's like as you know, you've you you've been to my house before. Yeah, you know, I have these four pit bulls, and you know they they have such a reputation. And my dogs are super sweet. You met yeah, them. Yeah, they are. That experience, um, and most pit bulls are. So I always love when I can find. It's going to sound horrible to say this. But I love when I can fall like a Maltese or a Pomeranian that's just going on rampages. Oh, I'm yeah, like, I know. It's like poetic justice. You so know? that you can go, see, it's not just the pit bulls. <laughs> it, it, it's the Bichon. Yes, it's the little ones, damn it. 
<laughs> so, but, so Lori, um, you just recently, I guess, so, I don't know, do you star in documentaries? I guess people can star in documentaries. Oh, um, do they? I guess so, a little bit. Or maybe we're featured in. There we go, featured. Industry appropriate word. There but, we go. Um, the, the American Gladiators documentary that aired recently on Netflix, would it be accurate to say that you probably had the most screen time out of all the gladiators? It's it's funny because I always I looked at it and went Nitro did. You know, I, I looked at it and went, okay, Nitro got most of the screen time because he was kind of like the narrator in, in some of the segments. And I mean, he was an executive producer of the of the whole thing as well. So, um, but they they'd really try to do a good job by kind of giving equal time. But I do believe, yeah, some got a little bit more than others. But I don't know. I didn't see myself in that. In oh my that gosh, light. you are being so politically correct right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, no, I, it's I, true though. It's very true. I just didn't see it. <laughs> I, I may have miscalculated. I would have said you first, Nitro second, but it could be inverted. Regardless, yeah. I think there's a reason I have that impression. You know, in my mind, you know, you're to me, you're like Gladiator Central. You you have stayed friends with pretty much the entire cast mm -hmm. um, and casts, I think, as they, uh, as they changed throughout the years. True. I think you probably know more of the people than just about anybody. A lot of them are my friends for many years as well, but you still in my mind always like stand out as like the poster child for the female American. <laughs> oh, thank you. I like that. I'll be the poster child. That's all good. <laughs> so is there has, has this documentary breathed new life into this franchise or was it just like come and gone sort of thing? It's, it's okay. So I'm, I'm, how do I say this? Because I've talked with the other gladiators about it. And at the same time, it's like right when the Netflix documentary came out, Oh my God, my social media was blowing up and messages. And, you know, we've got all of a sudden this, this life, you know, bread. And it's just like the American gladiators came to life again for a moment. And I say for a moment, because I'm realizing now in this era of social media, that it's like things are so fast yes. that it's kind of like you're relevant for maybe 30 days, <laughs> you know, maybe a little longer. I don't know. But it, it's it's that fast. It's like, bam, all of a sudden it's like American Gladiators. Oh, my God. Everybody's like wanting this and you know, wanting that. And all of a sudden it's like 30 days kind of slows down, 60 days kind of even slows down even more. I'm like, wow, that was really fast, <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Um, but we're, but for me, what I'm doing is I'm trying to do, I'm trying to ride the wave a little bit more by, you know, obviously my podcast, Chilling with Ice, staying out there. Um, you know, I've, I'm doing now um, public speaking, keynote speaking, um, actually got together with another person and we're writing a, a children's book. Um, there's a lot of things that, yes, I'm trying to ride this wave and capitalize on just that little tiny spark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I, I know things peak and valley and that was kind of, um, and I realized as soon as I was asked you that question, I kind of put you on the spot because things always go the way you describe. But I, I know that you're a business person also. Mm -hmm. So I guess I was like, Gladiator is a very good friend of mine who shall remain nameless here, um, who had some screen time mm -hmm. and was convinced this was going to be the career lift to A-list actor hype. 
And mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, you got to take this one minute and seize on it and fig- and start to plan now. Yes. So you can parlay it into things after the peak starts the valley. Absolutely. Um, yes. I fall on deaf ears, but I would think in your case, you're doing exactly that. And that's what you're, uh, that's you, what you're ha- us now. you do. You have to look at it as a business, you know, and you have to take little things and build on top of them. And it's like, okay, so I have to stay as, as relevant as I can in the public eye. And that means pretty much, you know, doing everybody's podcast so that my podcast can get out there. My podcast can stay relevant. Um, even doing some guest appearances here and there. Um, even possibly doing another documentary, but it's going to be, I will be the host of it. And we will go on and do more things, you know, as far as that. We're going to do something um kind of a small little working title level up to where it's, you know, taking different celebrities and it's not, what are they doing now, but it's more of a, what's their pivotal moment. So there's all these different things that yes, it's a business and you have to like build on top of it because I kind of knew that little spark wasn't going to last that long if you don't do something with it. Yes. Yes. You know, it's so important to be proactive in this world. Yeah. And I think you're, you're such a good example of that. Your podcast, you mentioned, I see it behind us. You've mentioned mm-hmm. it chilling with ice and I'm guessing people can download that anywhere. They listen to their podcasts, Apple, anywhere, Apple, mm-hmm. Google, all that fun sort of thing. Exactly. And are, are you doing, and I'm going to put you on the spot again. See, Go we, ahead. Don't, we don't prepare for these shows and I hate to set it up and get the, a flat okay. Do you do a video version of your podcast? Yes, it's on YouTube. And my YouTube version is Chilling with Ice. The YouTube version um, actually has really picked up some some serious momentum, which I actually enjoy because not only is my podcast on my YouTube channel, Chilling with Ice, but it's I've got like some of the behind the scene footage that I took because all that behind the scene footage from the, the Muscles and Mayhem Netflix documentary all that was mine. So therefore I own it. So now I'm going to start, I'm splicing it all up and I'm putting it out on YouTube so that the little snippets they saw on the muscle of mayhem. Now they can see the full, let's say minute or the full two minutes, you know, of really what happened in those moments. Um, so that's a lot of fun. So um, you can see that on, on your YouTube. Chill yes. with I was going to ask you when you started to say you were airing this footage and Johnny hasn't come after you for it, but you said it's your footage. So it's my footage. I own it. He can't do a thing about it. (laughs) I mean, they actually, I mean, ESPN used some of that footage, even in their documentary and they had to pay me for it. Excellent. So yes, it's mine. Now who, who owns the, and like, we're probably going to kill people all this business talk. So we'll get on it. It's interesting because I think a lot of people are business people out yes. there and they do want to know, but they want to hear the ugly stories, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Who owns the IP for the various gladiator characters? Does that stay with the show? You no, know, that that's a very interesting subject right there because Um, I had my lawyers look at a whole bunch of different things of who owns what, what can I do? Um, MGM kind of basically owns the American gladiator ice uniform. Okay. And I say ice uniform. So what I mean by that is I can have my podcast chilling with ice. 
I can do anything um, OG ice, icicle. I mean, I can change it around a little bit and it's just enough for them not to be able to touch me, you know? Now, I cannot go out, put my uniform on and appear and go, I love Premier Protein, you know, in my ice uniform. I cannot do that. They own that. But but if you were endorsing Premier Protein, they mm -hmm. could say, and here is American Gladiator Lori Fetrick ice, as long as you didn't have the character ID. Oh, here's the other thing. I can say that as long as right before that nice little sentence, you put former American Gladiator ice. <laughs> Rick, it's all in the wording, as you know. <laughs> I do. I mean, we, we've all probably read extensively about some of the fights former WWE talent have had over their names. Oh, yeah. and, you know, more often than not, it reverts back to WWE. Sometimes the characters famously recently Ryback was able mm -hmm. to win his name. And that is interesting. I think you're right. There are people out there who wonder how this works. And, and yeah. I'm glad we got a chance to uh, to touch on that. Yeah. And, it, and it's unfortunate, to be quite honest with you, that they're they they have such a, a lock on these particular names. I mean, there should be something like not in perpetuity to where it's like for life, but it's like, okay, so you can't use the ice name, let's say for, I don't know, let's go five, 10 years after the show is over. That is more, okay, that seems more sensible, but it is what it is. And that's the entertainment yeah. industry, as yeah. you know. Well, that's the entertainment yeah. industry. And, and talent and representatives, I think, you know, in the year 2023 are a lot more savvy to that now yes. than, than they were when you and I started our careers, you know, back in, back in the eighties, dare I yeah. say it. <laughs> you would never know. You look great by the way. Thank uh, you. Yes. I got my lighting all wrong today. I usually like to do my podcast in the dark. So I look much better that way. Oh, but, stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you look great. You were doing great. my friend. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's like, I, I remember representing fighters to fight, you know, in Pride or K1 or go do one pro wrestling match for New Japan Pro Wrestling or whatever it might be. And the contracts, and it would always say the same thing in the contract, uh, talent or wrestler or fighter or whomever, hereby agrees to give up the rights to their character name and likeness mm -hmm. on a worldwide basis in perpetuity. But I'm like, for one match, me? <laughs> it's like, yes. And a lot of people will just sign it. And- because you know, a lot of people don't know what in perpetuity means. <laughs> or, or worldwide. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's like, I don't and know. For those, and, and for those of the people out there who still don't know what it means, it means for life. Forever. <laughs> Forever. <in laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty scary. So, mm -hmm. Lori, as an American gladiator, can you kind of um, give us, give the viewers a uh, a picture of what the experience was like at the moment the gladiators kind of like got over that mountain and became famous. You were a hired gun who probably got into something. You're like, what the hell is this? This looks cool. Yeah. Maybe, it'd be, maybe it'd be another gig for a minute or a week or a month, even yeah. though they're saying it's going to last. And then boom, it explodes. What, well, let's let's, let's 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 take them back to that time. First of all, it's like, let's take them back to the late 80s, early 90s to where everybody had big hair. And, you know, it was the whole uh, 
um, oh my God, the Hulk Hogan's and it was crash TV and, and anything went. I mean, it was just everybody loved this era of the early 90s. Excess. Yes. You know, and so when the gladiators hit the scene, when I was on the, when I was on my very first season, it wasn't all that huge yet. I mean, I just kind of came in at the bottom to where they got over that pilot. They, they got the ball rolling a little bit, but they were still climbing up that hill to see where this show was going to go. So I come in my first year, I do it. I have an absolute blast because of the fact I didn't know what to expect. I just saw the show on television one day and went, oh my God, I can do this um, because I'm an athlete and also because, you know, bodybuilding and all that. So for me to get to tackle women, <laughs> to get hit off of the human cannonball, to put my body through that type of regimen to entertain people. And it wasn't, I didn't look at it as entertaining people, believe it or not. I looked at it as I was out there every day fighting the fight. I love that competition. I had that fire in my belly to where I wanted to win. I was just that girl. I was that competitive. So once we went on tour, I think that's the turning pivotal moment um, that we realized how big the show had become and how popular it had become. We did a 126 city tour on a tour bus. We were like rock stars. We'd go into a city. They'd set up the night before. We'd walk in at six o'clock. We'd eat dinner. The, the, basically, the bell would ring, let's put it that way, at 7.30 and boom, our name was called and we ran out on the floor and we did the show that night. We'd pack up, sign autographs, go on to the next city. And it was like the rock star tour. You know, we were, we were at our, we were like a family inside the bus. We fought. <laughs> we argued just like brothers and sisters. We got on each other's nerves, you know, but at the same time, we still were able to work together, have fun together and party together. So when we did that tour and then we came back, I mean, well, first of all, we filled Madison Square Gardens. So that moment right there, when we walked out in Madison Square Gardens, Rick, and we saw, I think it holds 19,000. Is it 19,000? That's about right. Yeah, yeah 19,000 people. And it was sold out. And you hear the, the, the audience and the roar and, and, and the chanting of your name and the American Gladiators. That's when you know, wow, we've really hit the big time. You know, we actually have become that television show and our characters and the, the stars of the show actually just, boom, we're there. So even at that moment, it was so surreal that I just, I just never took it for granted. I just really, really never took it for granted. I never looked at myself as being famous. The only time I realized, this is, you're going to laugh at this, the time that I realized, oh, wow, I can, I'm, I'm a little famous to use my name here and there. And that was to get a good table at a restaurant to, you know, maybe walk in the front of the line at a club when the line was a half a block long, yeah. you know, things like that. You That's know, a good use of fame, Lori. I'm yeah. all, all in support of that. It's, yes. it's the little perks, you know, that you do get when you reach a certain fame level. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. No, I was just going to say you, you get those little perks and, and that's, that is kind of the, the really the fun part about it as well. Um, I just never realized I didn't, I never looked at myself as like famous, famous, you know what I mean? I just, I guess I've always been just, I felt like I've always been Lori, you know, kind of really grounded. I've always had a good group of friends and family around me to keep me grounded. Um, and, and my friends would point out all the time and go, you got to tell them, don't they know who you are? <laughs> you know, and I would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to get a lot more in, into who Lori Fetrick is here in a few minutes. Um, and it'll really put you on the spot. I think that's the only preparation we did. As I warned you, we'll, we'll get into it. Let's talk more about ice for a minute. Okay. So you've got, you mentioned Hulk Hogan. Now I've known as you and I have been friends for years, Hulk and I, have, I wouldn't say we're friends. I like him. We've mm -hmm. always got a lot. I've known Terry Boulay, public knowledge is his real name. Right. But even his friends call him Hulk because he really he is what you see on TV. Mm -hmm. Some of the wrestlers, the persona is a big exaggeration of who they are. Some they aren't. Um, you have always, you know, seen as a very grounded person, as, as you just explained. But you still you were ice to people who made ice and Malibu and Gemini and Zap and Dallas and, and Nitro and on and on famous for this period of time. Mm -hmm. You mentioned rock and roll lifestyle. And I, I want to throw some quick things out. You can answer or not, but we're going to try anyway. Um, the characters, the gladiators, who was the toughest one? Toughest man, toughest woman? I would say the physically, toughest. Physically, physically. Physically, I think that the toughest man was Laser. Laser. Yep. I think Laser was the, I mean, Nitro was good. But Nitro was good with his attitude to where he would try to intimidate some of the players. Okay. Laser, on the other hand, he was all balls out 100% just in your face to where Laser, he, that's Jim Starr, right? Yes, that's yeah, Jim yeah. Starr. He would just pummel you. Yeah, you good, know? good dude. Uh, Thunder, Billy Smith, no? Jim. Yes, Billy Smith. Okay, so Billy was, I, I, and I think the reason I go to Laser is because I was with Laser for nine years. He was on the show for nine years. Thunder came in and Thunder was only on it. Maybe I want to say maybe two or three, maybe two seasons, something like that. But no doubt, Billy Smith was an amazing athlete as well as how big he was. I would have been hate to been hit by that man. <laughs> you know? He's a beast. He, oh, he was a big beast. Sure. Yeah. So, WWF had their eye on him for a long time, but couldn't pry him away from the gladiators during that period. I remember that. Yeah, that's and and I, I I wonder how Billy would have fared, you know, as far as WWF was concerned, just because of the fact that he was so big. And I mean, he was like breaking fingers and and I, shit like, you know, on the tour that is just like, you know, his bones were like almost brittle. Well, that's you know? not very tough. <laughs> it's yeah. a, you have attitude. You have food. Who was the toughest? Who's the toughest woman of the American? Guy? I was. Who was second? Jazz. Jazz. Okay. All Jazz right. was tough. Jazz was strong, big, um, athlete. Um, yeah. And, and Zap was scrappy. Zap was very scrappy, good, good athlete, but just kind of scrappy. That's all that. So I, I, I don't know why that word fits her. <laughs> she was, she was good, but I would call her scrappy. Okay. Um, 
And then the next one, I would say Blaze was good. Blaze was very good. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, when it I comes think, to- Lori, if Shannon Hall was out there listening to this, okay, so think, here's I think the thing Shannon's now fly to LA and beat you up now. No, I was better at many of the games. I was better at more games than Shannon was, you know, and it's funny because Shannon didn't really have the chance again to perform all those years. Right. You know, she only came on like, I want to say one or two, even not seasons, but one or two episodes on the actual television show. And then she did obviously the live show down in Orlando. Shannon's good. Shannon's a fighter. There's no doubt. Um, but when it came to like tackling, uh, when it came to even like whiplash, I know I could beat her ass and all those, um, joust. I don't know. I've never joust her. She's so damn strong. I don't think I'd ever want to joust her. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, it's like because of, um, because of my not so giant size one thing, and because of my friendships, I've messed with, you know, playing around with so many female pro wrestlers and, yeah, I, you know, I went went a sparring round with Ronda Rousey once, which did not turn out well for me. Oh um, my god, that would have been cruel to see. <laughs> we're the same size, and her manager put us up to it. Um, you know, and a lot of the pro wrestlers, I would say that Dallas Shannon was somebody I never even would have tried to goof around with. No, exactly. Yeah, see, and, and everybody has their their strength, you know, because the games were very versatile. So therefore you had to be super agile. You had to be fast. You had to be strong. And there are certain games made for certain players, you know? Um, but yeah, Shannon was, Shannon was pretty tough. She was pretty, I think, I think that if she were on the show the entire time, her and I would have probably been an equal basis. That's cool. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised that you kind of went as far as like ranking who the toughest people. I didn't think you would do that, but I've been asked the question before. That's the only reason I know that. (laughs) Since you have, maybe you'll answer the next one. Who was the worst behaved gladiator on the tour? Behaved, behaved. Oh, on the tour. Yes. You know, I can't really say there was one. Come on. I I really can't say because we were all very equal across the board when it came to that tour. You know what I mean? I mean, we all had the same complaints, the same gripes, the same bitches, the same gratitude for being there. Um, But yeah, it was kind of equal across the board when things weren't kosher of what, how the tour was either being ran or the meal situation. Nitro got on my Nitro just did my podcast and he goes, yeah, there's a few girls that were some divas on the show. And I was like, who, you know? So, I mean, maybe there were some girls that were divas on the, on the tour, kind of like, you know, I, I want a better hotel room or I, I think he exaggerated to be quite honest with you because we were so exhausted getting off that bus. We didn't give a shit what hotel room we were in as long as our head hit the pillow, right. you know, <laughs> I, get, I get that. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I can't really pinpoint anyone that had a shitty attitude because if they did, um, they wouldn't have lasted. We would have, we would have probably kicked them off the tour pretty fast. As you should, because you can't have that that, like bad apple spoiling. No, exactly. We were too close in quarters, but here's what I have a shitty attitude. I didn't didn't explain myself well. Okay. Thank you for that. It's good to know. So, 
I'll refer back to pro wrestling a lot because in my mind, I oftentimes saw WWF at the time. Now it's WWE, of course, and the American Gladiators as being kind of like cousins in a way. You're yeah, we we fought that. We fought that constantly, yeah. Rick. <laughs> yeah, so you're adopting like a larger than life persona and yeah. amplifying it for public and entertainment consumption. WWE, WWF, a lot of the guys have written books. Some have been very successful. There's been a lot of documentaries made. Sex and drugs were a big part of the WWF and WWE talents life. They've talked about it. I've never seen the gladiators talk about it. Is there a pact amongst you that you guys just? No, actually, I mean, we we actually do talk about it. We okay. we do talk about it. I definitely talk about it, um, you know, as much as I can to pull it out of the gladiators, right. you know, on my podcast. Um, there's no secret when we are on tour, um, because it showed on the documentary, that uh, Laser and Zap had a quick little affair, you know. Um, Nitro and myself, we had we had fun with just I, you know, basically hooking up with people in different cities. You know? cool. as, you, as you should have. I mean, yeah. but Rick, think about this. Okay, let's just go again. Put yourself back in that position for a totally. minute. Absolutely. It's like early nineties. Your body is rocking. You're young. Your sex drive is at its height. You're famous. You're out on the road. You're meeting people and people. And it's true. They're just kind of throwing themselves like, here you go. Here you go. Yep. You know? And so it's like, if, if it was there and it, most of the time people took advantage of it. Of course. So I'll yes, there was that. there was a lot of sex going on as far as the two are not necessarily amongst each other, but on the outskirts of it. Right. Um, when it came to drugs, it's interesting enough that not a lot of gladiators were into recreational drugs. It was it, more just drinking. In the early 90s, it was so fashionable then. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because we weren't, I mean, if there was any kind of drugs involved, like any kind of, you know, cocaine or anything like that, that was more like party parties, like actual individual small parties. Right. But it wasn't something that was taken on the tour. That's good. All right. We yeah. were just everybody. That's why you see everybody drinking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Everybody was partying and drinking. But a lot of I mean, I wasn't smoking weed back then. So that wasn't, you know, that wasn't part of it. Um, yeah, it's really strange. You're right. I mean, that's when the, the hype of the drug scene was there, but it wasn't on the tour, which that's, I'm kind of glad it wasn't. That's amazing. Actually. That's why you guys kept it together. And were yeah. But yeah. It could have, uh, could have easily gone in the other direction. Yeah. It could have gone really bad. And I think that's where we kind of went. Eh, you so, know? so looking back at, at, at the height or, or the fame of ice at the height of the American gladiators during that tour and during that era, is there anything that you look back on and go, Oh, you know, now, now being a little older and a lot wiser um, that you look back on and say, hey, I wish I had done that differently, or I wish I had taken more advantage of this. Does anything come to mind there? I, I don't really have, I, I wouldn't say there is one thing that I would do differently on that tour because it was just an absolute fabulous blast. You know, um, 
I can't say that I would go and do anything differently. Um, it, it was just, it, it was so much fun and it was such an experience. I mean, that's an experience that you can't, you, you can't, it's hard to even tell people how it feels, you know, to be on that bus with 10 other gladiators and going from city to city to city and performing in, in, in front of thousands of people every single night. It is such a rush and it's such a high that the only thing, okay, so, you know, now that I'm talking about this, the only thing that I wish I had known is coming off the tour, coming off the tour and coming down from that high, I wasn't prepared for. And it is, I mean, this is something that I, I actually have been writing about a little bit. And that is, you know, the, that first week that we were home, it was like, there was this like emptiness inside and I couldn't figure out why I felt like a little depressed or a little sad or a little empty, you know, and, and, and then you have to look back and go, okay, well, I was just on a six month tour with an entire family mm-hmm. every single day. And, and, and then all of a sudden you come home and it's like done and it's gone you know, and it is the, it's a very lonely feeling for a moment too. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you come back? And let's, let's equate it to this. Right now in America, people are losing their jobs left and right. And that, that's a very, you know, your, your job is crazy amplified for what you did, Mm -hmm. but the, I don't want to call anybody average, the, the American citizen, they get fired. Their identity is built around their job. Correct. Their living is built around their job. Their self-esteem, for better or worse, largely built around that. How do you deal with that? You're, you're on the road. You're going nuts. Things are great. Now you're home by yourself or with whomever. Yeah. How do you, how do you process that? How do you deal with it? How do you get your sense of self-worth back? It's, um, it's a process. It's a small little process. It's a time process as well. Um, I allowed myself to feel those feelings first and foremost. If you push those feelings away and you keep pushing them down and pushing them away, they're going to come back (laughs) and they might come back in a whole different way. So that first week, maybe even the first two weeks, I allowed myself to feel a little down, feel a little empty, feel a little lonely, feel a little depressed. And, And I had to process these feelings and I had to understand why I'm feeling these way, you know, this way. And then after you, I gave myself a time limit, just to be quite honest with you. It wasn't like, okay, well, I'll come out of this one day. It was like, no, I'm going to give myself, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks, but I gave myself a time limit. And I was like, you can have a small little pity party if you want. You can feel depressed, whatever you want to do, but it's only going to last you. You get one week to do this. And then after that one week, okay, now it's time to pick back up again. I mean, I hate to say this, and I don't even know where the, where did this term come from when you when when they say old school of you know reach down and pull your bootstraps up, <laughs> you know remember that old saying, <laughs> you know, but literally it's like you know it's it's going inside yourself and realizing who you are. You're not just ice. You're not just a performer. You're you're a woman. You're a strong, powerful individual that you know has 
um, a loving home and animals and girlfriends and, you know, it, girlfriend, um, <laughs> that you had to kind of, I had to really kind of dive deep into who Lori is, you know, who am I really? I'm not just a, a performer. I'm not just ice, you know, I was for that amount of time, but um, there is a lot of self, you know, kind of, um, I had to really kind of dive deep into who I really was. And I think after that, that week or that two weeks that I allowed my, myself to do that, um, I started getting busy again. I really did. I started writing down what I wanted to do, where I was going to go in my life. I had a game plan and I started working on that game plan every single day, working towards what I wanted to do. So it wasn't like all of a sudden I, I created this game plan in one day. It was like I kept my mind occupied and I kept it busy. You know, I shifted my focus. I shifted my focus from being lonely and depressed and, you know, empty to, okay, now we're shifting it this way again. You know, now we're going to go into, now this is what you can do. You, you've built yourself to a certain point and who you are in your career. Now let's take that and build on it, you know, kind of build on that. So it was a small, it was, it was a process, you know, really coming off that tour. And then the other thing, Rick, is after we came off that tour, not only did I go through this and I started getting myself going again, and, and this is where my goals are going and this is what I want to do and shifting my focus. Then all of a sudden Nitro came along and went, hey, we're going to hold out for more money. What do you think? And I was like, okay, let's do it. Oh, and right. boom, I lost my job completely after okay. that. All right. You know, and that was all within the same year. All right. So you had prior to the holdout and losing your job, you've been rebuilding yourself, mm -hmm. getting yourself stronger. Then that comes. Mm -hmm. Now it's gone completely. Yeah. So what next? What happens next? I just cried. <laughs> you, you cried. You went on a rampage. You, uh, you shot heroin. You lived in an alley. Uh, no, I can't say that. Um, interesting. What, what I, I, yeah, it's it's. It was, um, it was a pretty devastating moment because I realized that, yeah, I had built this persona of ice and they kind of got intertwined, you know, ice and Lori got intertwined big time. And so once I, I lost that, that American gladiator job and I thought it was forever, I really did because there was no talks of coming back or anything like that. I had to really dig, dig, dig deep, you know, of what my next move was going to be, you know, what my next job, how was I going to make money? Because if you think about it for almost at that point in time, it was a good six years. Was it six years, five years, five years, let's say five years even, or maybe four, let's go back. Cause it wasn't that long. Let's say the first four, I mean, four years, I mean, that's all I did you know, as gladiators, personal appearances, meet and greets, you name it, you know, that's how I made my living. So now it's like, boom, let's rip all that away from you. Now, what are you going to do, Lori? You know, it was, I was, I was tested. I was tested big time. And I'm a very strong mental person. I realized that. Um, I don't have an addictive personality. So I didn't dive down. I didn't go down that rabbit hole whatsoever. Um, thank God I'm not that person, mm -hmm. but mentally I had to dig deep and 
pull everything out that I had in my arsenal, basically, let's put it that way, to look at my life and create, I'd had, I had to start creating a whole new career, you know, because that one was taken away from me. So I went into personal training. I thought about, okay, so I'll open up um, a, a fitness facility. I started, you know, looking for investors. I started doing all that. And in the meantime, I was doing personal training, keeping my body in shape. And then, be believe it or not, about six to seven months went by and they were ready to look at the next season because they had already filmed that season. And I got the phone call to where they wanted, they asked me back for the following season. And that phone call was, I mean, I, I couldn't believe I was taking the phone call. Let's put it that way. So at and, that moment in time, that was yeah, everything. and 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 it, it hit me to where it's like I had to think about it and go, do I really? I mean, this is what's even more crazy. Do I want to put myself in that position again? That's, I was almost afraid. That's a great presence of mind. All right. Yeah, I was almost afraid because I had already by this time pulled myself out of that hole, and I was like building going back to a relationship, a yes, and relationship. Yeah, I pulled myself out of that hole. I was coming back to Lori. I was getting all my shit together. I was starting to build my life at that point in time. And boom, they came back again. So you, you did go back. You I did that. go back. I mm -hmm. went back. Yes, I did. Was it and different? I, it was different. It was different when I went back. And I went back and, when it, and it was different because of the fact that first and foremost, I realized not to take anything for granted. I realized that I was very grateful for what I had. Um, I really lived in the moment, you know, at that point in time and, you know, just going back to the show, I played with it more. I had more fun with it. Um, I guess I just didn't take it as seriously as I did the first four years because I was so afraid I didn't want to slip back into that, you know, who am I kind of thing? You know, Lori is ice, ice is Lori. I mean, it's kind of like I, I had to really kind of separate the two experience really brings perspective does it yeah it sure does look at you doing the gratitude practice before that was like a fashionable thing so <laughs> you know you. right <laughs> you're, uh, you're way ahead of your time there <laughs> um actually you know what's so funny is i think at that point in time it had just started to get the ball rolling because i remember the book the secret came out celestine's mm -hmm. prophecy came out mm -hmm. and all these different books you know, started coming out that I was, I remember that because I was reading them on the plane when I was traveling to do different personal appearances. So I remember that's when they were out. So, so you are a, you're a student of that world then? Yes, I am definitely a student of, of that world of gratitude, of manifestation, seeing, seeing and producing it in your mind that you can, you can manifest your entire life. I, I totally believe that. And it's like, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I think I have the answer already. It's like such a blunt question. What, what would you call your rock bottom in life if you had one? And I don't, I'm guessing that you're, you're as strong as you are, or you've become so strong through your life. You probably never had that, that great plunge to the bottom, which is amazing. I love when we, you come across the, the individual who hasn't laid in the alley shooting heroin and filth and trash. That's a little extreme, obviously. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think you, you've said something that I think is such great advice to anybody who's going through anything. 
And most people haven't had the career you have. They haven't come off of a big tour, you know, and given themselves a week to get themselves back together. People are crash and burn big time. And I always wonder, you know, people that are strong, such as yourself, that maybe not have had that experience on the bottom, what would you take from your experience that could help somebody today that in their mind has nothing going in life, nothing positive? There's always something positive to look at. Thank you. Good answer. There's yep. always something that you can find. You can find a person, you can walk across the street, you can walk in a crowd and you're going to find a person that's going to smile at you. Yes. Yep. You're going to find a person that's going to say hello to you. You're going to find a person that actually accepts you for who you are. You know, um, there are many things in life to where I, I know exactly what you're talking about to where some of these people are just rock bottom. They have nowhere to go. They feel like life is, you know, dealt them a shitty hand and that everybody is against them. And I, I've run across many people like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can just sit down with them and literally reach across and hold their hand for just a moment and go, life isn't that terrible. Right. You know, you can find something positive, something. Some, some. You're alive. There's a positivity. You're six feet above ground. You're alive today. It's a step You're, in the right direction. Exactly. You know, um, but, you know, when you were saying that I hadn't hit that rock bottom, I mean, it's kind of like everybody has their particular rock bottom. Right. Everybody has their level of rock bottom. Yes, absolutely. I hit that rock. I mean, I did. When, when I got fired and I got that phone call, I mean, I, I, I got anxiety. I got dizzy. I remember it distinctively. Um, I, I was just like literally like completely devastated. And I was, it was almost like a dream, you know, like this isn't really happening right now. There's just no way I'm going to wake up from this and everything's going to be fine. Um, yeah, it's, that was my, that was, I didn't, I, just because I didn't go down the rabbit hole of the drugs. Um, I, that was my rock bottom. I mean, I felt I was, I was, absolutely beyond depressed, devastated. I mean, come on, we all have those thoughts, Rick, especially women who go through their, their little cycles in life. And it's so funny, the guys don't know this, but it's like, um, it's like when you, when you hit a certain level of your cycle, sometimes we'll be driving along as girls going, you know, I could just drive right off of this bridge. <laughs> you know? And it, and it's just a hormonal bullshit thing that we go through, you know, um, once a month, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's like you, I hit that level. I hit that, that moment, you know, and, and, and you handled it beautifully. I mean, what, what a, what a, what a great process to give yourself a week. That is so strong. And it's such, such great presence. Okay. Maybe mind. two weeks. Okay. <laughs> Three months, two whole weeks. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I, I've, I don't know if you remember the name Charles Swindoll. He was um, one of the first gurus of the you know secret type of movement. Mm -hmm. And he had a famous thing you'd see on walls years ago. It said, life is 
uh, 10% circumstance and 90% attitude. Now, I don't know if that's Perception. exactly the right yeah. percentages or whatnot, but it, it's, it's pretty close. And it is real close. You know, I, I've seen people that are stripped away, as you described, and there's nothing. So they might even say, well, how would I get someone to come hold my hand? And that's that's a mind thing to me. You know, the, the first thing I always advocate is change your mind. And someone's going to say, but I have nothing. How can I do that? Well, you have to do it internally, but you don't have a penny. You can't get on a bus. Walk into a church. Now, I'm not a religious person. So walk into a temple, walk into an ashram, walk into an AA meeting, even if you're yeah. not drugs um, or drinking alcohol yeah. um, every little per, every little smile you get every handhold you get mm-hmm. they are available everywhere anybody mm-hmm. can go to a library and read the secret mm-hmm. you don't need money to do that um i, I always say you know you, you say take responsibility for yourself and that just heaps it on someone who's all the way that far down because mm-hmm. it's hard to make even the first move but i i, I always say make a move any move, whatever it might be. And and you're right. It's change your mind, change your life. And I think though, Rick, is we're talking also maybe two sets, two different types of people possibly. There are people that go down that rabbit hole and then they hit the drug scene. Once they hit that drug scene, that's, that's hard because now they're dealing with their addictions. They're going to have to get off that, whatever, whatever they're addicted to first and foremost, um, mental, some people have mental problems to where they have an imbalance in their life. And so when you say, change your mind, change your life, they can't comprehend that because they have that mental imbalance and that is, you can also get help for that. So those two types of people to where you have an addiction and you have your, your mental imbalance, those kind of people are very, very hard to actually, you can't, you can't just say change your mind, change your life. Mm-hmm. You've got to change other things big time. So a lot of the homeless situations here in LA that you and I both see all the time, mm-hmm. those people that have hit rock bottom, they're on a whole nother level. Well, it's usually a mental illness and a men- Exactly. And then when you put those two together, forget yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't even, you can't talk common sense and, and see those and pull them out. You're a hundred percent right. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't really be qualified to, to give expert advice. Me on neither. That. Me or, neither. Or, whatsoever. I've been peripherally around it for right. years, but so for those who blessedly are not suffering from either mm-hmm. one of those afflictions, right? You have friends out there that are watching you talk right now and they're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. You've got one minute. I'm putting you on the spot now, big time. You have one minute of their attention, whoever they might be. Get them going. What are you going to tell them? Tell me their situation, Rick. (laughs) Give me something to work off of here. (laughs) Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Okay. They have a roof over. This is all imaginary and hypothetical. Okay. But they have a roof over their head. Mm -hmm. Um, They might not have a lot in savings, but they're okay for a minute. Mm Mm-hmm. And they lost their job. They lost their significant other and their dog died. My God, Rick, really? You asked. You asked. (laughs) Yep. Yep. They're not taking drugs. They're not mentally ill. Okay. They they lost their dog, their job. Damn, that's extreme. (laughs) 
Can't we just go? They lost their job. <laughs> it's like things. People say things come in threes, and like at, at my bottoms, and that's not what this show is not about going into mine. But at my several rock bottoms, which are pretty horrific circumstantially, I used to say, "I wish things came only in threes. Oh my God, it's like yeah. twenty-three is more like it." Yes, right. So you're now. Oh, I, I know, and I was I was around you when you had your your back surgeries and. And you couldn't move, and you could barely walk. And I, re- I remember that was pretty that debilit. Oh my god, I remember yeah, watching you go through that. Then addiction, then depression, then homelessness, then isolation, all at the same time. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> That's and the, the mental illness part's debatable. I don't think so. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm living inside my own head, so who can say? Um, well, again, I don't even know. I, I'm not even qualified to to even go there. I mean, in threes, it's like, okay, if somebody were to lose their job and you know they were just feeling down and depressed, and you know maybe they, I don't know. I God, did, are you really gonna? I mean, I know what it's like, and you know what it's like to lose an animal. I'm just devastated. You know, it's like a, a person in your home, you know, that you've had in your home for, let's say, you know, even if it's two years, up and to Wilson, 15 years. Wilson heard you talking about him. Exactly. Hi, <laughs> Lori Wilson. Oh, my God. Look at that tongue. Yes, that's this is Wilson practicing his vicious pit bull look right here. Oh, now, does he have any front teeth? Why does his tongue hang out? Usually he- it's. Because he's dorky, he has beautiful, big, glistening white canines. Wow. Usually it's the dogs that have lost their teeth. Their tongue hangs out. <laughs> he, he, has perfect, he has perfect dental health. Thank you. <laughs> he is so cute. Oh, but was- even, you know, some people that lose their animals, I mean, that is so devastating. And, and But all again, I mean, it's... It's it, it's it's a it's a mind shift. You've got to you got to shift your focus. I mean, again, it's like you're gonna feel depressed. You're gonna feel down. You're gonna feel like you just want to just leave the earth. You know, that's it. I'm done. I can't do this any longer. There's always, always, always something to live for. You know, there's always something that you can find in the world in the and some something that you could be grateful for. And yeah, my God, <laughs> all three of those things together, you're gonna just feel like done. You know, I would, I would just feel like done. But if I were to put myself in that position, again, you just got to allow yourself to feel the, feel the pain, feel the pity party for a while. You got to feel those emotions. You can't shove them down, but when you feel them, you got to, you have to also think very rationally, you know, and that's where the mind over matter comes in. That's where the powerfulness comes in. That's, that's where the, you know, I do have something to live for. I do have something to offer this world. You know, I am grateful for this. I'm grateful to, for the sun to shine. I'm grateful to be above ground. Um, shift your focus. What can I do now? What can I do now? There, yes, I lost my job. I lost my identity. But what am I good at? Let's start writing things down now. Let's start writing a journal. What am I good at? What am I grateful for? Have a grateful, you know, book is what I always say. Write down everything that you've had. Maybe at that point in time, this, this moment in time, you're not grateful for shit because you've lost it all. But I can guarantee you before that time, you were grateful for quite a few things. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so that's where you have to go. I mean, for me anyway, that's where I have to go is what have I done in my life? What am I grateful for? And then it's like, all right, now let's start shifting focus. And Rick, it is such a mind game. You know this. 
It's it, such it's, a mind game. It's very hard. You might have, when you say, okay, I'm going to change my mind, you might have a bright moment or two. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to get dark again. 100%. And, and you have to remember when that happens that you did achieve or obtain that moment. Yes. And, you know, I used to, for the longest time, Lori, I said I was taking, you know, one step forward, three step, or one step forward, seven steps back, whatever. Yeah. It was, right. And then as I, it, you know, I'm thinking about someone listening to your advice right now. And without having had this conversation with you previously, mm-hmm. I felt like I took that advice because I almost calibrated going from one forward, seven back to one, six, one, five, one, four. Exactly. Exactly. One day I'm like, oh my God, life is like two forward, one back now. That's pretty good. Yes. Yes. And if you do this process every single day and you just do a small little amount every single day, you build upon that momentum. And like you said, next thing you know, maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe three months down the road, you're going to find yourself in a new position. But you're right. You are going to slip back and forth. You're constantly going to slip. Today, I slip back and forth. Today, I'm still that way. Today, with all these things going on in my life, don't think that there's a moment in my mind that goes, none of this shit's going to happen. Well, you're you're not perfect. You know? You're not perfect. Oh no, my God. no. I mean, right. I mean, I wake up sometimes at five thirty in the morning in a small little panic. You know, I panic about money. I panic about my job, my career. But I also have some really wonderful people around me right now going, "Do not panic about money. It will come. Keep your mindset. Keep looking forward." Um, I have this. I want to say support group around me, which is super, super important is to have like-minded people around you as well. Yes. You know, um, even if it's just that one. (laughs) If someone doesn't have anybody right now, where can they find somebody? Ooh. Support group. (sighs) A support group. I mean, it really, well, there's a shit ton of support groups out there, but you got to actually find out whatever that support group is for whatever position you're in. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I kept like pressing you for, you know, what do you say to the person who's all the way down there? And I think you right now are giving, and I don't think you even had the intention of doing this. Maybe you did. Of giving great advice Thank to you. the masses of people whose lives seem to be going okay for the most part, yeah. but who have this anxiety or whatever it might be mm-hmm. every single day. And there yeah. are people who have that for sure. They, I, I do get that. I mean, I... I still get it myself, you know, and when I feel those feelings, it's just keep working on top of what's going on. I, I, I work on top of fear. I'll work on top of anxiety. I'll work on top of being afraid of something. Meaning what that means is I notice that it's there, but I keep moving forward and work on top of that. I was taught a long time ago. Sometimes it's like if I, I remember saying something to one of my friends, I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous about this. And she corrected me right away. She goes, Lori, you're not a nervous person. Nervousness is, nervousness is, is uh, surrounding you right now. You know, that's what's happening. But you as a person are not a nervous person, you know, so you need to learn to operate on top of that. And that was one of the best advices I ever got, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting process going through life and getting older. <laughs> life is a journey, is it not? Um, yes. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing 
the following probably applies. It's like, you know, I'm always learning. I know people, I know many people, you know, my age, younger, that say, oh my God, if only I knew then what I know now. And, but they're now, they always think they're perfect and they've learned everything in the now. Mm -hmm. We all know people like that, I'm sure. And for me, I mean, I I still feel like a juvenile half the time. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do when I grow up at, you know, at 61 years of age? (laughs) I, I never feel like I'm quite grown up or quite there, but what I do recognize, I, I think, is from you learn from you have a choice to learn from past experience. Yes. Because now when, you know, something catastrophic happens, you know, our definition of catastrophic differs from one person to another. I almost immediately without pause go, OK, this is happening for it's another cliche. This thing is happening for a reason. Yeah. I'll understand what it is. Maybe not right now, but I will. And I find out that it maybe wasn't such a bad thing and maybe even a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that like I had you talked about people not being able to add to a gratitude journal. So I can't think of anything. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I, when we were married, kept gratitude journals and we did it together. Every morning was a really cool thing to do as a married couple. Years later, after a after my divorce and after a failed relationship, when I found myself living in a motel with my two dogs, Uh, I remember with my gratitude journal, I took it out and I was like, so, uh, so wallowing in self-pity for longer than a week or two weeks. Um, I remember one (laughs) day. That's okay. And that's okay too. I mean, people give them, the main thing is I always say, give yourself a timeline. Yeah, no, that's great. Cause I I did not even think about that. (laughs) Exactly. Most people don't. (laughs) I remember writing, um, I am grateful for Ramon and Marley. And those are my two dogs I had at that time. Mm-hmm. And then you flash, and that's all I could come up with. That's what, that's like what a pathetic state of mind I put myself in and or allowed myself to be in. So I take responsibility for that now rather than the world doing it to me. Cause I could have, as you've espoused so many times during this hour, I could have changed my mind and I didn't, but there's a point to this. A month later, I watched Marley's crushed body, pulled out of a trash bag by an animal control officer and Ramon was missing and was gone for half a year. So that one thing I had been grateful for was now gone. And, Mm. and then there was more and more and more. That's when things came in 23s and not threes, but here I am home today with my four beautiful pit bulls. I just came back from best friends animal sanctuary in Utah. It's a, um, it's the world's largest nonprofit for dog rescue. And I had dinners with the leadership there one-on-one. These are people that raise over a hundred million dollars a year for dog rescue and advocacy. That is so cool. And we're doing projects together now. And I'm like, and I help Linda Blair with the Linda Blair World Foundation, my dear friend, Linda Blair from the Exodus. And none of that, none of this would be what it is today if that had not happened with my dogs two years ago. Because that that happened my two dogs all those years ago, 10 years ago. That's what got me into it. So I can look back at Marley's body being pulled from that trash bag now. And while it still makes me sad, of course, I still still feel it viscerally. I can now say, I see why that happened. I saw, I see what that has brought to my life. If you think about it, some of the worst situations that we have been in in our lives have been the absolute best learning lessons. And that you just grow from every single one of those, every single process that you go through, you know, and, and it's 
when you, it's like for me getting older and looking back on my life on all the different things, because right now I'm actually writing this. It's funny that you say that because I'm writing out right now, like <laughs> literally all the shitty things that's happened in my life, you know? Okay. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to know it more in depth what I have learned and what my journey is from those moments, you know? So I'm actually, I mean, it, it sounds like kind of like, God, why would you want to relive those things? It's not reliving them. It's acknowledging them. And from acknowledging them, you, you can look at it at this point in time and go, okay, what have I learned from this? What have, have I become a better person? Have I grown from this experience? You know, and I've noticed as I've gotten older, people say you get wiser. And my little thing is, yes, you get wiser, but you also learn to call yourself on your own shit quicker. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing all of this as part of your continual growth because we never stop growing. Correct. And so that, that said, what's what's next for you in life? What what are your goals? What what do you want to be when you grow up? I know. Rick, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I, I never, I have the Peter Pan syndrome. I, that's my favorite movie is Hook. Everybody, you know, they kind of laugh at that because I, oh I love God. that. I love that childlike <laughs> yeah. fantasy, you know, that I just, I don't, I don't want to grow up, you know, and that maybe that's a small little problem of mine. I don't know, but <laughs> um, what's next for me? Um, I have felt for the last 10 years maybe 20, to be quite honest with you. And this was before the Netflix doc came out. But mainly in the last 10 years, I kept feeling this feeling internally, like I'm not done yet. There's something inside of me keep going, I'm not done yet. I need to be out there. I need to be speaking. I need to be talking to people. I want to encourage. I want to, I want to um, motivate. I want to inspire. So I think this is where it's like, you know, the podcast is coming around and then that will lead to something. And then public speaking, keynote speaking. Um, I, I'm actually doing something in this December. I'll be, um, a guest speaker for the LAPD, um, oh. which is going to be a lot of fun about whole, you know, about fitness and everything else and why it's so important. So, you know, these type of things bring me joy and yeah, I've always wanted to do a children's book. I think it's going to be a great, amazing little adventure for me. Um, and then, um, I want to do some more documentaries. I want to, I want to be on camera more. I love being on camera. I, I, I just absolutely love it. So it's finding the right group of people to actually get me to where I'm going. I cannot do this all on my own. I have the visions. I have the thoughts. I am manifesting it. And I'm starting to meet these key people in my life right now that have taken me already just in the last couple months and have done so much for me that I can see where this journey is going to go. You know, so I'm excited about the years to come. And you potentially have a new manager now, a gentleman I, I believe I introduced you to not long ago at his yes. company. Good. Yes. And that's hopefully, hopefully proved helpful. Uh, or will. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> come on, Rick. You know how managers and agents are in this town? <laughs> I, 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 well, I know both sides of it. I know how managers and agents are, and I know how clients are. And, you know, it's just, we, it's tough. It's a tough relationship. There's no doubt Believe about it. Believe it or not, I, I picked up a, a business manager um, actually up in Canada that's doing more for me in the last two months then I can say all my managers and agents have done for me in the last five years, yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. So super grateful for her. So um, apart from her and anybody else who might be in your sphere right now, 
Mm-hmm. Let, let's uh, let's break this down. You have the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, how can people find your podcast? Okay, so podcast is on across the board wherever you listen to a podcast. It's called Chilling with Ice. Um, I will be on iHeartRadio real soon because um, I'll be underneath their 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 wing. Uh, YouTube channel, Chilling with Ice. All my podcasts, all the fun little videos. My social media across the board is lori.ice.fetric. And that's F-E-T-R-I-C-K. That's TikTok. That's Instagram. That's Facebook. Um, my website, lorifetric.com. That has everything on it to where people can hire me as far as guest speakers. I've got my merchandise store there, a little merchandise store called Ice T-shirts, which is fun. Ice T-shirts, nice. Ice T-shirts. Um, any kind of meet and greets, it'll have my schedule on my on my website as well, where I'm going to be as far as autograph signings. If anybody's interested in hiring me for autograph signings, they can find me there as well. Um, Rick, I'm across the board on social media. You can't miss me. <laughs> and that's great. That's great. Yeah, I wanted to know how the public could find you and listen to you and how the private sector can find you. And, yes. uh, and now we know. Yes. Well, Lori, it's, it's so great to damn Rick. I've never been asked these questions before. That's pretty awesome. It was a, it was a really nice change in podcasting. Let me, let me give you that. That was awesome. Glad, glad to hear. Glad that to hear. That was awesome. It, it, it was fun. Um, and and it, I think it went so well that, you know, you, you have my address. So just send me the, send me your uh, therapy bill here and I'll, I'll pay it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I've been through therapy today. It's fantastic. Yes, Damn, I I, you even, you even brought like a small tear to my eye for that second. Yeah, you got, you did good. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise, what I meant is I'm paying you for the therapy is what I meant. Um, I feel like I've had a good therapy session today from you. <laughs> Amazing good. stuff. Thank well, you. we've got to get together for dinner again. I want to yes. come and see all your, all your puppies Please. and let's, let's do it again. I would, I would love that. I will be reaching out to you on that. Absolutely. You got it. You got Thank it. you so much. Great to see you. And Ladies and gentlemen, Lori Ice-Fetrick. Thanks so much for being with us today, Lori. Thanks, Rick. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.